Good morning. I appreciated that we were able to run that short video about the Global Leadership Summit. And I'd urge you to go ahead and to register. That's coming up on August 6th and 7th. We have a special uh, website or landing site for you to register. It's at northriverchurch.org forward slash GLS 2020. It'll take you right there. You don't need any code. All of that will self-populate. But you're in control of the summit this year. It's all going to be a virtual experience, and you can watch as uh, your schedule allows on those two days. And then after the summit is over, for the, all of those who have registered, you'll have seven days where you can go back and either watch it again or watch the pieces that you missed. And I hope that you'll take advantage of that and that you will enjoy that experience. I'm looking forward to it as well. This morning, our topic is leaning into transformation. And this is uh, based on Philippians chapter 3, the final passage, verses 15 to 21. A few years ago, I was visiting a friend at the Plymouth County Correctional Facility. And prior to this particular occasion, I had been inside a handful of prisons several times. At the end of each visit, when I was buzzed through two sets of iron gates, a small sense of relief would wash over me. It was that sensation of returning to a world of freedom, even if my time on the inside had only been for an hour or so. But this occasion was different. As I waited near the first set of steel doors, waiting for that buzzer to go off and the door to open, all of a sudden an alarm went off, and a voice over a public address system announced that the prison was in lockdown. And I thought, okay, what do I do now? A moment later, a professional counselor who works in that correctional facility was also waiting to leave, and she walked over and calmly told me that this probably wasn't a big deal, but nobody would be allowed in or out until every resident of the prison was accounted for. So we stood there and we waited with nowhere to go, waiting for an all-clear signal and for those steel doors to finally open again. I stood there, trying to look confident, but in all honesty, this was a very strange experience. Nobody could tell me how long this would take, and nobody was going to make an exception for me in order to be able to get out of there right away. And so I began to think about how I was going to use the rest of that day once I got out. And I found that I became grateful that even this inconvenience that was causing me to think about how I would use my freedom for the rest of the day whereas most people on the inside of those walls would not have that luxury. Finally, after about a 45-minute delay that seemed an awful lot longer, the all-clear signal came. And then a correctional officer pushed the buttons to let us through those two successive steel doors, and that initial sense of freedom washed over me once again. Now, here's the reason I wanted to begin with that memory this morning. There's something about being on the inside of a prison longer than you want to be, and that's always the case, that brings clarity of focus. Now, I tell you this today because as we study this next section of Paul's Philippian letter, it seems that two, the two years that Paul spent in prison in Caesarea, followed by another long period of house arrest in Rome that would eventually become two years long, had brought increasingly greater clarity of focus for Paul. And with that clarity of focus, Paul calls Christians to keep one primary goal in mind, that becoming transformed citizens of heaven is our goal. 
while we live out our days here on earth. Welcome back to North River Church. I'm really glad that you're here. In our recalculating series, we have seen how two years in house arrest were causing the Apostle Paul to recalculate his priorities, his methods, and his goals for ministry. I find this encouraging to know, because since the middle of March, you and I have been recalculating the daily patterns of our lives week by week without knowing where the roadmap was going to lead. And we live with this growing sense that as we move forward, that things will not simply snap back to exactly the way they were before the COVID-19 shutdown. Whatever the future is going to be like, it's going to be slightly different from the way that it was. And so we are using this season to recalculate how we live out our values of Christian faith. Here's the key idea for today that I want you to get. Leaning into transformation aligns us with our new identity in Christ and with His life-changing power. We are leaning into transformation. Now, there are four thoughts that Paul develops here in this final section of chapter 3 of the letter to the Philippian church. And the first one is that we adopt the posture of transformation. Paul sets this up with the final verses that we looked at last week that came just before the section that Anne read for you a little while ago. In verses 13 and 14, he says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Look at the verbs that Paul uses to describe his topic. Forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, pressing on toward the goal. This is the language of a sprinter or a long-distance runner leaning toward the finish line. And the motion is forward-leaning, like the person is getting closer and closer to breaking that tape at the end of that dash. This is not a person who allows himself or herself to get stuck looking backward at that moment. All of the energy, all the, the, um, the motion is moving forward so that you would break that tape first. And the runner's eyes are focused on what he or she is yet to experience. So the runner presses on toward the goal. This runner has in mind the prize that God gives out to those who finish well. And the runner's focus is on God's final work in us that Paul reveals in verse 21, a transformation that will be so complete that even our bodies reflect Jesus. Imagine that. Every part of you is going to reflect the glory that we see in Jesus. This is the posture of transformation. And Paul calls us to take on this posture now while we are yet in these earthly bodies that are getting older and older day by day. We don't cause transformation. That is done by the power of Jesus Christ. But we must lean into transformation. And there are a number of ways that we do that. With discipline, forgetting what is behind. With focus, straining toward what is yet ahead and with intentionality, pressing on toward the goal. This posture is defined by a determination to keep our eyes on the finish line and by a refusal to have our focus distracted and pulled away from that goal. So think of the runner who is leaning toward that finish line. Paul writes here that this should be the focus of Christians who want to finish well. 
He writes in verse 15, All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. Paul is saying that no matter where you are in your Christian development, if you just made the decision to follow Christ in recent weeks, or if you've been following him for 80 years, our eyes are to be on the finish line. Anybody who is in the process of maturing in faith is looking ahead toward that goal. Leaning into transformation aligns us with our new identity in Christ and with his life-changing power. So the first uh, development that Paul makes is that we adopt the posture of transformation. Here's the second. We also follow models of transformation. Verse 17 and following gives us this sense. There, Paul writes, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us for a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is self-destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things." When my father-in-law was growing up during the 1930s and 1940s, his father ran a company that set the standard for model planes. The company was called the Strombecker Company, located in Moline, Illinois. The founders' last names were Strombeck and Becker, and so they put that together for the Strombecker name. And during World War II, kids all around the country bought and built these model planes. We're going to show you a few of them on the slides right now. They were designed to be very realistic so that people on the ground could study them and identify U.S. warplanes as they were flying overhead. And by studying these models, they could also quickly identify an enemy plane too. One year, my daughter Annie wanted to find a Strombecker plane to give to my father-in-law for his birthday. I think it was around his, his 79th birthday. So I managed to find some Strombecker planes that were up for auction on eBay, and I helped her buy one of those plans from the 1940s to give Bud for his birthday. When he opened up the packaging and saw this plane in its original box from the 1940s, he had to wipe away tears, and this strange mist just covered his face because he hadn't seen one of those for so long. Now, the point of a model is to give us a realistic picture of the real thing. And that's what my father-in-law saw that day as he opened the package and, and saw that model plane from the 1940s. So the Apostle Paul here points to himself and his ministry partners as examples and, the, and models of what we are becoming, even though they knew they were not yet complete. Paul and Timothy and Barnabas were never quite the completed project during this earthly life, but they could model what transformation looks like as Jesus continues to do his work in us. And so he wrote, keep your eyes on those who live like we do. If you're an older Christian and you're seasoned in your faith, do not be shy about presenting for those who are younger a model of how to live. They will know that you're not perfect. But we follow models of those who are farther along in the transformation process and encourages us than those of us who are yet behind them. There are two benefits from this. Having good role models helps us lean into transformation by showing us what a healthy Christian life looks like. We need those models. And the second is that a healthy role model presents a clear contrast that reveals 
those who live as what Paul calls enemies of the cross. I'm not going to go negative here and focus a lot on, on that point, but Paul is making the point that we always live out our faith in the context of other people who are absolutely opposed to everything that Jesus stands for. We must also keep in mind then that the ultimate role model is Jesus himself. This is why the letter to the Hebrews says, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. That's in Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Again, we come back to that big idea for today. Leaning into transformation aligns us with our new identity in Christ and with His life-changing power. So here's what we've seen so far. As we are leaning into transformation, we adopt the posture of transformation. Then we follow models of transformation. And third, we live with the identity of transformation. There is a new identity that we gain when we place our faith in Christ and we have this new relationship with God that is centered in our experience with Jesus. Paul describes this at the end of verse 19 and the beginning of verse 20. He says, Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. What a contrast. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. This is one of the greatest contrasts that Paul ever presents in the Scriptures. He says that the mind of those who are enemies of the cross are stuck on earthly things, all of the tangible things in this world that we cannot keep. These things are earthbound. Therefore, however shiny and attractive they may be, they are only temporary. Think of the, the finest attractions, the finest house, the slickest looking car that you can see, whatever it is that draws your fancy. All of that is temporary, Paul is saying. But the Christ follower lives as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, which is eternal and everlasting. This is the second time in this letter that Paul has referred to citizenship in heaven. He's serious about this. It's not just some kind of a, a mythical identity, but you and I, when we place our, our faith in Christ, belong to the kingdom of heaven, and you have rights there and citizenship there. In first 20, uh, chapter 1, verse 27, he wrote, Whatever happens, as citizens of heaven, live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So there's a huge contrast between two ways of life that is expressed here. The first is the person who does not follow Christ, who lives with his or her mind set on earthly things alone. This person uses people and, and opportunities to acquire more things. But in the end, these are all things that they will not be able to keep forever. In contrast with that, the person who is spiritually alive in Christ looks forward to citizenship in heaven. Therefore, the things of this world are seen as temporary. They are tools to be used for building up others. Christians refuse to form their identity around their possessions and their stature. Our true identity comes from our relationship with God's Son and knowing that citizenship in His kingdom far outweighs the temporary kingdoms and blessings of this world. So we look forward to the return of the King. In that day, he will renew the earth with its original splendor. 
And the final scene of Revelation pictures heaven coming down to earth as a permanent dwelling place where God forevermore not only renews the earth but dwells in the midst of his people. And all the glories of heaven that we dream about, that we think about, that we marvel about come to this earth and are part of our experience for all of those who are in forever. And we live as people who are being progressively transformed by God's Holy Spirit and by the power of Jesus the King. That is our identity. We belong to the kingdom that is coming. And we are in the process of being transformed so that when He comes, we will be finally ready. And we have to lean into transformation. Leaning into transformation aligns us with our new identity in Christ and with his life-changing power. And that leads us to the fourth observation that Paul makes here. We trust the agent of transformation. So look at the way that he finishes out this section. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. That's amazing. Paul ends this chapter by giving us a glimpse of what we call the upper story. Those of you who went through that year-long study of the story with us may remember the concept of the lower story and the upper story. The lower story focuses on what God is doing with a particular person in a particular place in the events of Scripture or even today. But the upper story focuses on how God, how God aligns all of that with his long-term final story of what he is doing throughout all time. So Paul ends this chapter with some encouragement from the upper story. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's where you ultimately belong if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. At this time, we await the return of the Savior who comes from heaven, Jesus and Jesus is at work now behind the scenes bringing everything under his control. I know it doesn't always look like that, but there is a plan that he has. And little by little, he is working through events and people and time to bring about what he longs to see happen. And when we finally see him, his transforming work in us will be completed. I wrote this thought a few years ago when I was thinking about the implications of these verses. When we know and believe we truly have citizenship in heaven, we will act more like we belong there than like we only belong here. That's the goal, my friends. For us to act like we really belong there in the kingdom of heaven than like we only belong here in the world that is temporary and passing. So what does this mean for us today? It means that we live in a wonderful yet broken world that Jesus will restore to splendor. The earth matters. It means that Jesus is at work now, gradually transforming Christians to be more like him. And Jesus is calling more and more people to become citizens of the kingdom of heaven every day as they transfer their trust from themselves to be good and religious enough on their own and putting their personal trust in Jesus the Savior, the Son of God, who is the rightful and returning King. Every time you see a change 
in one of those Christ followers who's walking alongside of you, whether they are family members or those that you serve with in a ministry team, we are seeing the ongoing transformational work of Jesus. It also means that we believe in the King who is coming and that He will reward those who follow Him faithfully and that He calls us to live as citizens of heaven here, now, today, in this world, in this time, in your home, in your workplace, everywhere you and I go. It means that the more we understand what God is up to, the more we are equipped and inspired to lean into God's transforming work rather than fight against it. We do that by living as citizens of heaven here and now, people who operate according to the values of Christ within this world on a daily basis. This is why the Apostle Paul uses the language of the runner straining toward the goal leaning toward the finish line. He longs for us to run the race with endurance so that we will run through the tape at the end of the race and hear those satisfying words of reward from the Father Himself when He says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have finished the race. Now, we have ideas of what that may look like. And right now, there are a few slides that I was able to gather together that give us a picture of what some of this may actually look like. Not just the runner who singularly crashes through that tape, but the one who sees her friend falling and stops to help her. Because we get to the line together, and it may look very different from the picture that you had of one friend helping another to the finish line. Here's the way I want to end this, with this final thought here this morning. The finish line is just ahead. Can you see it? Can you see that Jesus is coming? And if you can, lean and finish well. Let's pray. God, I pray that with the way that we live out our faith, that we'll be able to select healthy role models to follow who will point out the pathway further down the road, that you'll give us the faith to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, that you will give us the ability to not be distracted from the goal, but that as we continue to live through challenging times, that we will more and more be filled with an expectancy that Jesus is coming and that his kingdom is going to sweep over this earth. Help us to finish well and to lean into the transforming process rather than fight against it. Lord, we know that those who, there are those who fight against it and their lives are troubled and they live with great difficulty. But the more that we lean into your transformation, we find you changing us from the inside out Lord, I want to be more like Jesus and less like me. And I pray that you will cause all of us to have that same desire that we'll be more and more like Jesus, less like the enemies of the cross, less like ourselves when we are alone, straining toward the goal, looking with joy at the finish line, with our ears open, waiting to hear those words. Well done good and faithful servant. You have finished well. And may we hear those words in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for being a part of our service today. We're delighted that you are a part of all of this and that you are connecting with us on a continuing basis. One of the ways that you can help and participate during this season is to continue to give generously. Thank you for supporting the work of our church. Uh, you can do that either by mailing in a check to North River Church, 334 Old Oak Street, Pembroke, Massachusetts, 02359. You can do it through your online banking if you set that up. Or you can uh, get the Text in Church um, app on your phone and you can connect with North River Church and you can continue to give through that app and you can do it right from your phone. But thank you for the way that you have been so faithful over these last few months. The truth is we are living in anticipation too, wondering what the future unfolds and we're not in control of all of how that happens. But we are determining that we are going to run the race and we are going to finish well together. Thank you for being a part of this.